0: You're listening to Alamo City Limits podcast with Noah Magaro George, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of Pounding the Rock and SB Nation.
1: What's going on Spurs fans? Welcome back to Alamo City Limits, the official San Antonio Spurs podcast of SB Nation and Pounding the Rock. As always, I'm your host, Noah Magaro George, and that's my co-host, Damian Bartonek. Ma'am, you took last week off. We took last week off. You're on spring break. We got a nice little rest. So tell me one. How are you doing? And how was that trip? How, how was the trip, man?
0: Yeah, I right now I'm doing great, man. It's it's I'm I'm glad to be back. You know, a lot of stuff's been happening. We're in March, man. It's a lot of craziness. Uh, you know, obviously last week when I was in New Orleans, I was over at Harris, and uh, everyone was betting, you know, on the games. I was not. I actually bet on the UFC uh, event last weekend. Two out of my three legs hit, so unfortunately it wasn't a winner. But overall, oh, no, it, it was a great time. Uh, if I would have won that, you know, maybe the Alamo City Limits podcast, I'd I'd make it rain here right in front of you if I won. But unfortunately, uh, we weren't a winner, so. But overall, man, I'm happy to be here. The trip was cool. Thanks for asking. And man, I'm excited to talk about Spurs hoops, bro. Spurs hoops, March Madness. Let's just get into it, man. I'm excited.
1: Yeah, let's do it. And just so our listeners are in the loop here, we're recording this podcast on Friday, March 25th at about 1230-ish Central Time. And man, we've got a bunch of interesting topics in store, but it's only right that we start with a divisive topic across Spurs Twitter. It's been going rampant. People are like getting kind of vicious out there on social media, but as of today, San Antonio owns the eighth best lottery odds in the NBA, but they're also just one and a half games out of the final Western Conference play-in spot, man. So, Dame, if you were in charge of the front office, you're running things, you're the head honcho, what would you have the Spurs do for the rest of the season? Are you on Team Tank, or are you a play-in supporter? I don't care either way. I think we got to be nice to anyone regardless of where they fall, but I want to know, where do you stand? Who's your side?
0: Okay, yeah, so here's the interesting thing, right? So right now, when I when I first started working on this outline last night, Noah, the Spurs had like the 19th like most difficult schedule. Well, now they're bumped all the way down to 12th. So they play Memphis once, the Warriors, the Mavs, the Nuggets, and the Timberwolves. I can see them losing each one of those games. Except for Memphis. I mean, I don't know. Memphis without John Moran's kind of nice though, Noah. So I don't know. That's probably like the only one out of those big teams that I could maybe see. Then they play the Rockets once. Portland is, you know, respectfully, they're a really bad team. Uh, and New Orleans, you know, those games can go 50-50. The, Kind of interesting thing, no, from my perspective, is whenever we say this team needs to tank, quote unquote, the only way I could see them actually doing that is if they just like sat Dejounte Murray. But like, I don't think that's an actual possibility. I don't believe that's realistic. I don't think he, no. I don't think he would be fine with that. Um, and I know you can say, oh well, Pop will just tell him not to. Pop doesn't seem like some guy that would, like, willingly go against the grain of his own player. I mean, even, I mean, Monty Ginobili, you know, drove him crazy, as we all know. But he just let him do his thing. So I don't think, you know, he would willingly go against the grain of a player like DeJounte like that. But my perspective is, do they even really need to tank? Like, is that even... Because, like, respectfully, like, they're 16 game. What are they? Like, how, how? what's the record right now, Noah? Like, they're double digit games under 500 right now. Like,
1: they're 15 games under
0: 500. Fi- yeah. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're, like, respectfully, like, if they get in the playing, like, they're not getting in the playing with, you know, a, a 500 record. Like, they're kind of making it by default. And that's not to, like, take away from the accomplishment, but.
1: No, man. I think uh, yeah. it is fine to say yeah. that. It isn't yeah. really an accomplishment. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll let you finish here in a yeah. second, but, like, if the Spurs qualify for the playing tournament. It's going to have less to do with them playing great basketball and making this astounding run. And it's going to have more to do with the incompetence around the league, especially the Lakers, the Kings, the Pelicans, who are actually playing better as of late. But other organizations like the Thunder Blazers, (laughs) uh, even the Rockets, like they're phoning it in. They phoned it in, man. They don't care. So like by default, like you said, by default, if they get in. It's not really going to be an accomplishment. Yeah. And, I mean, I- I'll let you finish, but, man, I-, I I know you had to say, you know, respectfully, but for me, no, I'm fine to say it with my chest. Like, it's not that great <laughs> of an accomplishment. It's all right.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing for me, too, man, is where the Spurs are at right now, I don't think this is a, a case of where, like, if they make it, this is huge for their, like, development or anything like that because – We've had, we're going to have 82 games of a sample size to kind of know where they're at right now, right? They kind of had an idea of where they're at at the trade deadline by moving off one of their better players, kind of really, not necessarily phoning in him, but they're definitely looking, you know, long term much more than the right now. Uh, so I think right now where the Spurs are headed, if it was me running it, I would just kind of let it play out, man, to be honest, because just being realistic, I wouldn't just bench like DeJounte or Jakob because I don't think they'd go for something like that. But at the same time, too, like, I don't even know if they even have to tank necessarily because, like I said, Memphis without job, that's one thing. The Warriors, okay, you know, Dallas, all those other things. But, I mean, we're not talking about a team that's, like, hovering over five hundred that, you know, can beat these teams on a, you know, night-to-night basis. No, like, they're, they're a bad team, respectfully, right? Like, according to the record, they're a bad team. So... But in, in
1: that same vein, yeah. like I don't think they're as bad as their record shows. Cause like you look at their net rating, it's like almost even. They've just been really bad in the clutch. They've yeah. played quite a few games in the clutch this year. They've been lucky in the clutch. Like, for example, the Keldon Johnson rebound, he puts it back, you beat Golden State. Uh Lonnie is shooting three of seventeen before he takes a three that wins the game at the buzzer against Oklahoma City. Like you're you're not as bad or maybe as good as some fans want to say, but man, like I know we don't think maybe. That they can win these games, but as you mentioned, they're going to play the Blazers two more times yep. and at home. They just blew the Blazers out by nearly forty points in both of those games. Look, they shut down Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, Nazir Little, Josh Hart, Eric Bledsoe. Joe Ingles is done for the year with an injury. Yusuf Nurkic is done. Like they're going to win those games yeah. as long as they just show up. Like they could all show up with like the common and cold, and they could <laughs> win by like forty if they really wanted to. If they really wanted to, they could. And as I mentioned, we talked about it before the game or before, not the game, but before the podcast, (laughs) like the last four games are Nuggets, Timberwolves, Warriors, Mavericks. At that point with four games left, or even if you want to just chop, chalk it down or chop it down to the last two teams on the schedule, playoff seating may have already been decided when that happens, playoff teams sit their guys, they're done. So like the Spurs, again, they can just show up wanting to win, playing third stringers, playing second stringers. And pick up a victory i mean it's not like guaranteed they've lost to, to bad teams this year but man like it feels like it should be a cakewalk as long as they just do what they're supposed to do
0: Here, here's a point another point about this that's interesting that i just remembered so right now the lakers um the lakers and the pelicans are in front of them right now the lakers according to tangathon have the second toughest remaining schedule left and their games aren't spread out <laughs> like the spurs where they're playing like solidified t- like talent team at the very end like right now, they play the Jazz and the Pelicans and the Nuggets, the Suns, the Warriors, the Thunder, and then the the, the Nuggets to close it out. Like that's I mean, and, and I mean not to kind of throw this into the pot a little bit, but like teams typically like don't quote unquote rest against the Lakers. Like they're not gonna rest against LeBron and the Lakers. Like this is not just kind of how it works, right? So I think it's there's definitely a shot of. The Spurs not only like if the Spurs went out like that's not enough. Obviously they're going to need to make up a little bit of ground here. But I mean it's definitely possible. Like the Lakers have a really tough schedule remaining. You have other teams like it's only no like if if Portland actually had an NBA team right now they'd make the play in probably. Like, they have the easiest they're
1: remaining. They're one team. game behind yeah. you in the standings. Yeah, that's it.
0: like they, if they had any semblance of an actual NBA team they'd be fine. But I think the underrated portion of this is just kind of looking at the Lakers schedule because that's kind of like the, them and the Pelicans are the team two teams that are closest. And I mean, it's definitely possible. New Orleans schedule is extremely easy down the stretch, Uh, according to Tagathon. It's the 26 easiest remaining schedule. So, you know, that's kind of where the Spurs are working with. But I don't know, man, I I think I don't kind of lob this to you. Do you think there is real genuine value, you know, in a potential like play in game for this current core? Or do you think that's kind of a little bit far fetched? Like we're, we're kind of already know where they are right now. Like, where do you kind of stand on that?
1: Man, I, I, nobody can see this because only you can see me through Zoom right now. Yeah. But yeah. like I, I sort of and I don't like mean this as a slight. Like it is I know I said, you know, it's not a real accomplishment. And like I mean, getting there, you can't tell that to the players, right? Like they're working hard, you know, they're busting their behinds to get in the play and they're they they're, you know, putting in the work, whatever. Like I just mean in like a general sense that like, yes, I, I value high stakes basketball. I'm not sold that one or two playing games are going to set San Antonio's young core on this dramatically altered developmental curve, right? Like, last year, we saw them show up to the play game. They played against the Grizzlies. DeJounte was really bad in that game. DeMar was really bad in that game. You know, Keldon was all right for small stretches, but Rudy Gay was your most reliable scorer in that game. Shot well from the field, played decent defense. Like, what did, what did we really learn? Like, did, did all of a sudden, did that game make DeJounte who he is today? No. Like, Rudy Gay, Patty Mills, DeMar DeRozan, uh, Gorgie Jang, Trey lyles like, all those guys leaving, that's what opened up opportunity for DeJounte. Like, maybe he used that loss as motivation to, you know, I'm going to use that to motivate myself to get in the gym and work even harder. But, like, let's be honest, DeJounte Murray is the kind of guy who, like, doesn't really need a lot of motivation to get going. Like, he's going to find motivation. So, for me, no, man, I, I don't really think one or two playing games, even one, if you lose one, you know, then you're done. Like, I, I just don't think that that's that valuable. And let's say, Dame, just entertain me. Or, you know, at least humor me here for a minute. Let's say the Spurs somehow make the playoffs, right? You know who's waiting for them in the first round?
0: Oh, good old Phoenix.
1: The 60 wins <laughs> Phoenix Suns are waiting for them in the first <laughs> round. San Antonio is <laughs> 0-4 against them this regular season. It feels like a sweep is probably in the cards, and I get it. Like, oh, you know, get D- DJ in the playoffs, get Kel in the playoffs. They're going to learn so much. But, like, man— Teams with – like, we say that as if teams with losing records and, like, the Spurs could win every game for the rest of the season, go undefeated, 9-0, and still be six games under five hundred. No team in NBA history who has made the playoffs and been under five hundred has ever advanced in the first round of the playoffs. Never. That has never happened. And looking at recent history, I mean, you think of the Blazers, Magic, and Nets in 2020. They all got knocked out of the bubble playoffs in the first round. It wasn't even close. 2015, you see the Nets. They they were kind of older. They had Joe Johnson. Uh, I believe they had Paul Pierce. Like They made things interesting against the Hawks that won the 60 games that season and ultimately lost in the second round. But I mean, they blew it up. They blew it up yeah. after that season. So I hear people, oh, you got to get in the playoffs. That's huge. for the. Well, Why? How is it huge for them? I mean, even 2014, I'll, I'll give people this. 2014, the Hawks are probably the best outcome from them, right? Like Al Horford was out for most of the year. They had a lot of injuries, so they came into the playoffs. They barely limped into it, but they put up a really good fight. And then the next year, they win 60 games. But look, man, they had Al Horford, Paul Millsap, Jeff Teague, DeMar Carroll, Kyle Korver, Lou Williams, and Dennis Schroeder. That's, I mean, the amount of talent that we just listed there, that's not on the roster. They had three all-stars there, four, actually, if you count Kyle Korver, and several guys who have become really solid players. One of the best sixth men in NBA history. Dame, where do the Spurs have? Like, what do the Spurs have? They they have Dejounte <laughs> and who? Like, is Keldon as good as any of those players? Who I mean, like, at least is he better than Jeff Teague or uh, Al Horford, or is he better than Paul Millsap was?
0: Yeah, no, not in their peak. No, not right now, at least, right? Like, so, like, are they of, on a trajectory
1: yeah. to win? Like, are they? Yeah. like, they're not gonna win that series. So. Like, excuse me, but give me 32% chance at picking someone in the top four because the top four is relatively even. We got Jaden, and we'll talk about guys later, but we got Jaden, we got Chet, we got Paolo, we got uh, Jabari. Like, I'd rather have a chance at having someone who can make a difference in the long run than have a participation trophy entry into the play-in tournament and the playoffs. Like, that's, that's just where I stand. I, I can understand the other side of the argument, but I just can't get myself to move over to the other side. I, I just can't.
0: Yeah, and KOC agrees with, with your argument, and everyone that's on the on the tank <laughs> side, shout out to KOC, good man, good man. But, yeah, I think just in general, no, I, I echo everything you're saying. And I mean, like I mentioned earlier, we've had 82 games at this point to know where this team is at. I don't think getting, if they even make the playoffs, right, but if they do, right, I don't think getting the face slapped off you by Phoenix does anything for you development-wise. Like, what am I going to learn about Lonnie Walker that I don't already know? What am I gonna learn? Like you're acting like the, like Keldon Johnson's gonna start hitting people with two dribble hesies and and spins and all like no like this is we're, they're gonna be playing the same style of hoops in the in the playoffs right like there's nothing that I think that I could personally take as someone that watched this team that writes about this team that would change my thoughts or even because I've heard that before too right like maybe we'll learn something that we didn't know well you just gave us 82 games like what am I gonna learn like what at this point Noah like what do I learn you know. And I love learning. I love being wrong, right? But, like, <laughs> like ain't nothing to learn right now. So, yeah, I think that's just kind of where, where I stand on this entire deal. If you have any closing thoughts, man, feel, uh, feel free to let them out because I'm ready to talk about some some college basketball, man, some March Madness some some draft stuff. So we'll do it.
1: Yeah, I'll close out with this because you, you said, you know, you're not going to sit DeJounte. You're not going to sit Jakob. You know, you're not going to intentionally tank or whatever. And I agree. Like, that's not the Spurs MO. They've never operated like that. They've never – you know, tried to lose games intentionally. At least people will tell you that they that they didn't when they got Timmy in 97, whatever. I wasn't really, like, cognizant. I was in diapers, so I don't <laughs> know. I can't tell you. Uh, but I do think that there are, is a way to lose organically, and I know, I think I've probably said this a few times, but those two things don't really go hand in hand. It's sort of like an oxymoron, like Jumbo Shrimp organically losing. But look, since the All-Star break, DeJounte Murray pre-All-Star break fourth in the NBA in touches, 87 per game. Post-All-Star break, he's number two in the NBA in touches per game. He's number 25 in the NBA in minutes per game. That's ahead of Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Joel Embiid, John Morant, Nikola Jokic, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Like, love DeJounte, proud of everything he's done this season. He has played his heart out. He is an All-Star. But, man, we're not we're not learning anything about him. Like, as long as he has to carry this sort of load for a team with this supporting cast— we know what they can do. You know, like we know what this team can do and what DeJounte can do with this supporting cast. And it's not much. You've seen it. It's 15 games below 500 with nine games left in the season. So for me, you don't sit those guys. But what you can do to lose organically, I'm not necessarily going to guarantee any losses, but guys like Keldon Johnson, guys like Trey Jones, guys like Josh Primo, even a guy like Lonnie Walker, let's get them some on ball reps. Let's get them some primary touches, man. Let's see what they can do because we keep hearing, you know, from the front office every summer when they draft someone. Well, yeah, you know, we like to put them through the G League. We like to put them on the ball, let them have those reps, you know, that way when they get to the NBA, you know, if the ball's ever in their hands, not uncomfortable, we got a lot of versatility. But like, man, no offense, like even if you make the play in the playoffs, whatever your season is sort of lost anyway. So let, I mean, nine games, it's probably too late anyways, if you wanted to intentionally tank or organically lose or really get to know what you want to know about these guys. But I mean, give them some reps. Let's see what they can do with the ball in their hands because is DeJounte ever, 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 ever going to have this many touches in his career again? Like, is he? really? Honestly, like, I mean it. Like, is he ever going to be the guy who touches the ball the second most in the NBA for a season ever again if the Spurs are good?
0: Yeah, I, I doubt it, right? I mean, that's one of the things why you drafted a guy like Primo or whomever you're bringing in, right, is you want someone that can either A, Play off very well of him, or B, they can actually take those primary reps kind of away from him and let him be that 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 B option, that the one B to the one A kind of option. That's kind of like what me and you have been talking about all year, right? Like it's we've how many times have we said like Dejounte's you know fine in this role, but it's probably not the best idea to have him be your primary guy, your engine of the offense, right? So no, I agree with you 100%, man. I think where the Spurs are headed and and just over, this overall year, if you're gonna you know quote unquote organically tank. I don't even think it's a bad thing, you know, giving a guy like Primo these reps or whomever, because, I mean, that's actually counting towards development. Like, that's something that I would say is actually counting towards because we're get he's actually getting valuable experience in a specific play type that he's that he. I mean, essentially, why you drafted him, right? Like, the reason why you picked him that that high. So, I echo everything you're saying, brother. I I really do, and uh, yeah, we'll talk about Primo more later in the show. So. I'm excited.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and before we segue into like some of the current Spurs, like Josh Primo, let's go ahead and touch on the world of college basketball right now. The Spurs have three first-round picks, so if you didn't know that, that's a reason to be excited. They got yeah. Boston's pick. They probably got Toronto's pick locked up as long as they make the playoffs, and they got their own pick, as we mentioned, eighth-best odds. So they've got some options in the summer, but hey, 22, uh, 2022 NBA draft, it's coming up. It'll be here sooner than you know, and they're going to have a ton of options with the selection. So, in the spirit of March Madness, Dame, which prospects are you flirting with that might look good in silver and black next season? I know we're looking a little bit further ahead, but there's a lot of good college hoops on right now, a lot of interesting prospects. I'm going to know which ones you like.
0: Yeah, a good first date is always going to brunch, man. So, if I'm the Spurs, I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to brunch. I'm going to brunch with some people right now, right? Going to brunch. Obviously, Noah... We've been talking about these odds of 32% uh, percent to get the top four pick, you know, all that other good stuff. So we're going to start off, off right at the top. I think Chet Holmgren is the best prospect, in my opinion, in this class. I know a lot of people made a lot of concerns about, like, the weight and this, that, and the third. I'm not worried about that, man. I just think from a, a sheer talent perspective, someone that's already been really good, he's been playing, you know, really solid defensively, and you know, in college. I think offensively he has a lot of room to work with. I loved Evan Mobley last year. Obviously, they're different prospects, but – I just love that modern style of big man, that guy like Chet Holmgren, you know, Evan Mobley looks like. And I think, Noah, I'm going on 100 brunch dates with Chet Holmgren right now. Even if it's not even a possibility, Noah, I'm going on that. Like, I'm doing that. Because I think there's nothing more. There's no better fit, honestly, crazy to say this, than, like, Next to a guy like Jakob Pirtle, honestly, like I don't know, know if you feel that way, but Absolutely. for me, I think, yeah, I think if you put Chet next to a guy like Jakob, especially early on in his development, oh my goodness, like that would be that would be immaculate. If I'm the same. that'd be something that like I would trade all three first this year and my first next year to kind of like get a shot at personally. But uh, that's the first one that I'm gonna go with, man. I I think even though it's you know not as realistic as you know some of the other guys will talk about you got to start off at the top. you got to start it off right because, I mean, it's a possibility. There's a chance.
1: And I guess, like, what really frustrates me is I've seen a lot of really bad discourse about Chet Holmgren. Like, people have said, oh, you know, like you mentioned, oh, he's too skinny. Oh, he's, you know, he's going to break in the NBA. Oh, you know, what's going to happen when he's posted up against Joel Embiid and he breaks him in half? Well, like, if you're a smart NBA coach, obviously you're not going to be saying, hey, yo, Chet, why don't you go, uh, you know, guard— Joel Embiid on post up for post ups for the majority of the game, and I know you can hunt mismatches, but like people are acting like you can't be skinny and play in the NBA. Respectfully, P- Alexey Pокешевский hasn't been a good NBA player. He's shown flashes. He's been fine, but people had that like same concern. Oh, you know, he's seven feet tall. He's 190 pounds. Like they're gonna snap him in half. Well, to my knowledge, he's still like living and breathing and actually playing like pretty good <laughs> basketball in Oklahoma City. And Chet has a completely. Different game than him. They're not the same. Chet is much longer. 7'6 wingspan as opposed to a 7'2 wingspan on Alexey Pokashevsky. But, man, like, if you haven't watched him, it's okay to not have an opinion. Like, if you haven't watched any Chet Holmgren and your only opinion is, oh, well, he's too skinny, well, then it's okay that you don't have an opinion. You don't have to voice that. Because I just think it's <laughs> kind of ridiculous. And, like, everybody's entitled to share whatever they want to say. Like, that's fine. You're a fan. You get an opinion. But, like, at least put a disclaimer that I haven't watched any Chet. Because if you don't like Chet Holmgren as a prospect, then you haven't watched him. Like Respectfully, you have not watched him if you don't like him. He's an excellent rim protector. He's one of the top shot blockers in the nation. I know he fouled out of last night's game, but you know what? He hardly fouls for most of the season. He's been really sturdy, good rebounder. He can put the ball on the floor. He can shoot the three ball. I'm not when I say put the ball on the floor. I don't mean like oh he's crossing guys up and going behind <laughs> the back and breaking out hesseys. But he can he can attack closeouts, put the ball on the floor. He can run a, a fast break as your ball handler. You know he's got good passing vision. Like he's not the necessarily the complete package, but man he's such an intriguing prospect. And if you don't like him again, that just means you haven't watched him. So I'll let you continue yeah. with these guys because there are a lot of guys on here. We don't have to cover all of them. We can go through like maybe. Six of them or so, but I think it's important, like you said, to hit all of the top four. Just in the off chance the Spurs get them.
0: Yeah, I think to close out on on uh, on Chet, uh, shout out to KOC again, again. He um he had a, he said uh, Chet was a shade of like Gen Z Palgasol and like. That, I love. I, like, L-U-V, that comp. Like, I think that fits <laughs> so well. I think the off-ball defense, too, especially because San Antonio already has a guy like that and Jakob that can already do those things off-ball, you know, protect the rim. But, bro, Chet can do that as well. Like, he's he's one of the most interesting prospects. He's definitely my number one guy. You know, I'm not going to do a big board, unfortunately, but I can tell you from the guys I watch, I definitely, you know, pay close attention to. And Chet is, Chet is one guy that... I hope San Antonio can somehow luck into. But the next guy I think we're going to talk about here from Duke, we'll talk about another player from Duke. But the best one from Duke, this uh, you know, coming out of this class is Paolo Bancaro from uh you know from Duke. Like I just mentioned, really fantastic game last night. We're recording on Friday. Uh, last night he had a couple of really really nice possessions in the second half of that game. Uh, there was one where he puts the ball on the floor, a nice spinners old school move, lay right to the basket, and then the the following up play he uh, he puts the ball on the floor, sucks two defenders in you know immediately uh, identifies that finds the open man uh, you know out of the out of the role and just it was beautiful man like Paolo Banchero is a guy that I think if the Spurs got him hypothetically it would just open up so much for their offense. I think as a, as a prospect, a lot of people are kind of worried about his defense. Uh, for me, I'm not really worried about that much, Noah. You mean, I would love to be wrong about that, but I think overall we're kind of nitpicking here, and I think a guy like Ben Carroll just right out of the box, man, can provide scoring, uh, shooting. I think the playmaking is honestly really interesting, and that's just kind of where I stand on it, man. I would love to hear your thoughts, but I love Paolo. I said last night on Twitter, I was like, Paolo's going to be a great spur, uh, just kind of throwing <laughs> into the universe. But, yeah, I like him a lot as a prospect as well.
1: That's interesting cuz I think at the beginning of the year he had so much hype and then when he didn't come out and immediately like absolutely dominate everybody in front of him, people were starting to, like kind of fall off the Paolo train beginning of the year 17, 8 and 3 roughly on 46% shooting from the field, 29% from 3. Those were like his first 20 or so games. So like I understand it. It's not like the most efficient, it's not the most dominant. Uh you know, it, it, he didn't always necessarily Uh, Show up when you thought he would, you know, he had a few low scoring games. He didn't take over games like you might have wanted him to. But really from the the conference tournament to March Madness, the last nine games, 19 points per game, six rebounds per game, almost five assists per game, 54% from the field and 44% from three on good volume, too. He's taking more than four three pointers per game. Like, it's, it's hard not to fall in love with a guy, at least offensively, who he's showing up for the big moments. And I know that's cliche, like, okay, you know, he showed up for the tournament. But, you know, part of, part of the progression of, of prospects is they're adjusting from the high school game. Now they're coming to the college game. And if he started out strong, but then he hit a wall because people figured out who he is and, you know, he's not able to dominate after that, then I'm a little bit concerned. But if you start a little bit slower, but as competition gets better, as the stakes rise, you get even better. Man, I love that. I love to see that. So I really like Paolo. Can put it on the floor, can find teammates, strong rebounder, can create off the dribble. Like I I like him a lot. Defensively, there are definitely concerns, not necessarily because of his physical traits. You know, he's not necessarily the the most quick guy laterally, doesn't have the best feet, but it- I think it's mostly an effort thing with him. But yeah, man, motor, like yep. y- you you got to like what you've seen on the offensive end. And for a class that's not really that deep and is pretty top-heavy, if you get a chance at one of these four guys, Spurs should be ecstatic and they have to at least consider Paolo if they're, you know, one, two, three, four.
0: Yeah, I think uh a late you know, closing on Bankero real quick, uh, you seem like a guy that loves passing, loves playmaking. And I think I I don't know if I speak for you, but I know me personally, I think there's a lot of upside there as a playmaker. And I think at that four, that three-four spot me and you've been talking about that they need versatility, uh, not only on the defensive end, but offensively, you need a guy, like you've been mentioning, putting the ball on the floor you need a guy that can play make out of that as well, right? It's a lot more than just having tunnel vision and not being able to see open guys and, you know, you know, just create mismatches, to actually have, you know, you know, off on-ball gravity. So, I think a guy like Ben Carroll would be great, man. We'll move on here to Jabari Smith. He's someone that coming into this process, no, I'm not going to lie, I didn't know too much about, but, you know, KOC has him second overall on his board, on his big board. Uh and for me, he's someone that I find very fascinating because the player comps, I was listening to Ryan Russillo's podcast earlier, the player comps that they give him, he even said this too, they kind of scare you, right? Because you're like two-way Richard Lewis. You know, it's like Harrison Barnes, right? Stuff like that. But it seems like a guy like Jabari Smith is someone that can e- immediately come in, play for you right away, and really carve out a role for himself, for himself immediately. Someone that can be really effective on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, he can shoot the rock a little bit. It seems like he's the most, I would, I would say probably quote-unquote pro-ready because he can immediately carve out a role for himself. But at the same time, I wonder, I question his upside. No, am I crazy for, for kind of questioning that? Do you think he has as much upside as a Paolo or
1: a Chet? I do. I really love to hear. I honestly do. Yeah. yeah, I watched a lot of Auburn this year. And so if you've watched Auburn, and, and I don't think we're going to talk about Walker Kessler too much. He, he's probably like a later first round guy. But yeah, I thought he worked really nice in unison with Walker Kessler on the defensive end. He wasn't really like a, a shot blocker. He did block one shot per game. But he's good at making the right rotations. He moves his feet really well. He's got great lateral mobility. He's got great straight line speed. A lot of vertical pop. He gets up quickly off the ground. And on the other side of the ball, that's what really stood out to me. You know, we say he can shoot a little. Honestly, that that is way, and I know you didn't mean to, but it is way underselling yeah. him. 44% on more than 160 attempts. I think it was somewhere in there, right? Like 160, 170, something like that. That means he was taking over five threes per game, and they weren't all catch and shoot. Some of them came off of jab steps. They came off the dribble in transition. Like, this guy looked like a genuine shooter. And when people say, and I think actually you said, uh, Kevin O'Connor said Rashard Lewis and that might scare people. No, man. Rashard Lewis, like, shout out to Dirk because, you know, he's the guy who everybody thinks of as like, oh, you know, he revolutionized the big man position. But Richard Lewis next to Dwight Howard in Orlando... He was, like, really one of the first wings, like, big wings. You know, like, he was a powerful or whatever, but he was really a wing. That guy lived on the perimeter. He could attack closeouts. He could rise up from the mid range. Like, that's the kind of guy who you would absolutely love to have in the modern NBA. So, Rashard Lewis, you know, sorry that you, you weren't, like, this all-NBA guy during your career. You're not a, probably not a Hall of Famer, but, man, put Rashard Lewis in today's NBA where it's more suited to her, towards his play style. Man, I love the thought of that because I think Jabari Smith— For people who didn't watch a lot of him, they may say, oh, you know, only 17 points per game, only seven rebounds. But, man, they were loud points. They were loud points. They were loud rebounds. He had a lot of tough shots, fallaways. Like, there's a lot of stuff in his bag. And he's mostly raw. And I think the number one thing, and we'll talk about this later with some other prospects, but for me, guys whose fathers played in the NBA, that always stands out to me as, like, man, this guy understands what it takes to be a professional the work ethic that it takes to get to the NBA, to hang around the NBA, to be good in the NBA, to carve out a career. You know, he they understand the business side. They understand the X's and O's. Like, you think about all, all these guys who have come in and they, their fathers have played. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. You even have a guy like Austin Rivers, who, like, okay, maybe Austin Rivers was not an all-star, but he's hung around the NBA for a really, Solid NBA really long time. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. You want to, you know, throw out more more modern names. Anthony Cole. He looks, or uh, Cole Anthony, I'm sorry. Cole Anthony. <laughs> he looks, sorry, I, I said Anthony Cole, yeah. but Cole Anthony, his yeah. father, Greg Anthony, really good pro. He looks like he's going to be a really strong pro. You know, there's just so many guys who you look at them, you say, man, their father, they were really good. They stuck around the league for a long time. They instilled, you know, a work ethic and understanding of what it takes to be a professional. And I love that. I love when you have a prospect whose father played in the NBA. So for me, that's just another bonus. You know, it doesn't necessarily ensure you're going to be good. But for the most part, I don't see a lot of high-end prospects whose fathers were in the NBA who fail.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to see, like, after the year's done, to kind of look at, like, the synergy numbers. Because another thing I find interesting about Jabari Smith that I was just looking up right now, too, is that, so he only averaged, like, 1.8 turnovers per game, but his usage rate was, like, at 27%. Which, like, and even, um you know, piggybacking off of that point, you mentioned, like, oh, he only averaged 17 points. Like, there's some people that'll say that. In college, for me, man, like, That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of points, like...
1: Yeah, they only play 40 minutes. That's yeah. like almost a whole quarter less than. I mean, not literally, but it's close to a whole quarter less. Yeah. So yeah.
0: And and the thing the thing too to like I was really when I mentioned that Richard Lewis thing, I was really mentioning it because I know Ryan Wasilla was mentioning, like that scares him, right? That worries him because it's like you didn't think who like of who that would be today, right? And I mean, I've seen another comparison of like Chris Bosh, like that works in the modern NBA, man. Like that's like that is the chef's kiss like just perfect, you know, position that you could imagine like like that just archetype. So yeah, I'm really interested to see you know his game especially. You mentioned how raw he is, so if it was if I was asking this straight up, right, out of the three we just mentioned, where who's who has the highest upside, or the highest ceiling rather, to you out of the out of the big three I just mentioned? We're going to talk about Ivy too, but I just want to talk about these three because I think the Spurs, if they were to land in the top three, would pick one of these three guys.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like they're definitely again like just because Chet is skinny does not mean like he's going to fail. But there are definitely reasons to look at Chad and say his his ceiling is probably higher than a lot of these guys because he comes in right away. You don't know that he's going to be able to put the ball on the floor. We don't know that he's going to shoot 40% from three or eighty percent, you know, at the rim at the next level. Like there's definitely gonna be challenges. But I think of all three of those guys, the guy with the biggest upside or the highest upside, in my opinion, probably Paolo. I just think if you can get him to buy in defensively where he's at least putting in the work and his motor is a little running a little bit hotter that there's a lot to explore there. Like, this is not a one-for-one comparison because they are not the same player and they don't necessarily play the same way. But one of the things that I always really wondered was if Jabari Parker never gets injured in Milwaukee, like, what, what kind of player is he? Because a lot of people said, oh, you know, he, he could be like the kind of microwave score, you know, uh, perennial all-star like a Carmelo Anthony where, you know, he's scoring so much that, like, all right, he's not the, the greatest defender, but, like, as long as he's scoring for you and he's playmaking for you, and you've got other pieces around him who can make up for his deficiencies then you've got a pretty good core player like that's kind of kind of what i see in, in Paolo Boncero or Boncero rather you know i i think he may never buy in on the defensive and it would be great if you could get him to buy in on that end you know but if he can be become you know a player who's putting up 23 24 every night then i don't think you have to worry that much about it i mean obviously there's going to be defensive deficiencies but that's how you surround other players. I mean, we've seen teams do it before in the past. Not every all-star or microwave scorer or go-to guy is a great defender. You you can make up for that in other ways. Noah Magaro, george
0: I, shout out to my other good friend Noah. You don't know how many <laughs> times, how many times me and the other Noah have discussed Jabari Parker and like Paolo Bencaro, like how, how you could see, I don't know if it's the body, kind of like how we'll talk about like AJ Griffin, how like people think, He's Jimmy Butler because like the lower half just like he moves and looks just like Jimmy Butler, right? But it's kind of the same thing. That's something that I, I've said. I, I promise you, you can see my eyes. I'm like, dude, I've said that <laughs> so many times. Like, yes, I agree with that hundred uh, percent. I think Chet probably has the highest the highest ceiling. I think, I think Jabari, and and I like Jabari. Like I mentioned, like I think right out of the box he could be, like, one of the best players immediately, right? Impactful. Um, there's a lot to work with there. You mentioned how he's raw, right? So his ceiling's up there as well. But I'd probably go Chet, and then I can't give you a firm opinion on the on the second. I I, I really can't because I really like I, but I really like Paolo as well. So I'm going to take the coward's way out and be like, I don't know. But I think Chet's the highest ceiling in my opinion. Yo, though, no, that's, no, that's totally fine. fine. That's
1: totally fine. And, you know, one guy who... Like, if the Spurs don't land them and say they, you know, they they hop into the top four because they have a 32% chance as of today or a 29% chance as of today as the eighth highest uh, lottery odds, they have a chance to get the fourth pick. So, you know, they hop into the top four, they land at four, those guys are gone. I would take Jaden Ivey. Like, there would be no hesitation. I know some people have said, oh, you know, he's the second coming of John Morant, whatever. Uh, he doesn't have the court vision. He doesn't have the passing ability. Uh, I think he's a, a slightly better shooter than... John Morant was at this point in his career, but he's big. He's super explosive. He has the kind of straight line speed and shiftiness that you see from a guy like John Morant. So like, I think if you land him and okay, you already have DeJounte and yes, there's probably some concerns because neither of them are really knockdown shooters or or great shooters to begin with. Oh, well, you work through it because he's the best guy available. And I still think the Spurs should look at it through that lens. But what are your thoughts on Jaden Ivey? Because honestly, I've been impressed with him every single round of this tournament and like, I'm just going to flex here for my alma mater, but I got to watch him play against the UNT last year, went to University of North Texas. They made the tournament. They knocked out Purdue in the first round as a 13th seed over the third seed. And I was like, I don't know, man, like Jaden Ivey, he looks good. I know people are saying he's going to be you know, like a second year riser, but man, I did not see him exploding like this in his second year. So what is your opinion of him? Because I think he's fantastic.
0: He is very tough. So, he ranks in the top 89th percentile in a pick-and-roll offense, both as a scorer and a passer. I'm assuming that's per synergy, according to NBA Drive Junkie. So that's something that I saw on the tape that matches the numbers. Uh, I think another interesting thing about his game overall is apparently the Roman shot 63% on 11 temps this year, which obviously you want more volume there. But I think for a team like San Antonio, that's going you know to, I mean, they're going to spam that, you know, to the death of him. I think it'd be a really good fit there as well. He's someone that if you're at, you know, pick number four, I would look out without, without a doubt. Uh, KOC has him number four on his big board. I like the comp of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. I think that's kind of a really unique blend, and I think there's some definitely upside there. And Noah, I mean, if we're talking about a score, someone that can have gravity on the ball, you know, with the ball in his hands, that can really make these passes, these second and third level reads, man, I mean, I think there's upside there for him as well. So... I like Jaden Ivy a lot. Now there are some things looking at these, uh, especially uh, shout out to NBA draft junkies for having a lot of these numbers out for me. Uh, He only shot 38% in transition and uh, apparently he only shot 28.7% on jump shots. So uh, there's probably going to need a little bit of of, of improvement there, but I think overall he's someone that's really, really raw right now uh, in certain areas, but he's also really polished in others. So I like him as well. And I think personally, man, if the Spurs are landing in that, you know, that, that number four range, I don't even think it's a question. Like, if the Spurs did if the Spurs went another route, I think we'd have a little bit of an issue on this podcast, so that's just kind of where I'm standing,
1: yeah, for sure, and like there's a bunch of other guys in here, and we've we spent a lot of time talking about these guys, so why don't you pick out like maybe two? max three of these guys who we have listed here and we can talk about them because these are guys who are like more realistic for the spurs if they end up with you know the eighth pick or the seventh pick or even the ninth pick because that's a possibility you know or they could fall out of the lottery i don't think they will i don't think they're going to get in the playoffs but right now we're looking at it just through the lens of as of today with the eighth best odds who would you take
0: yeah it's funny we're 37 minutes in. we've been talking about the draft like crazy um Man, so I think one prospect I'm going to talk about right now uh, is Shaden Sharp. Uh, me and Noah talked about him, talked about him a little bit last uh, last night, kind of before the show, a little bit. He's obviously very raw. I think as an off, like an on ball initiator, I don't know if I expect that from him like in year one or year two uh, one thing that really stuck out to me is how effective he was off the ball he he has a really good feel uh, for just kind of half court offense off the ball as a cutter uh, I think there's a little bit of upside there as a passer but it's everything's really raw especially off the bounce I think defensively uh, Noah was talking to me earlier about it off you know off air you know the wingspan is there that the tools are there uh, he reminds me if you if I can make a football reference of Malik Willis coming out of Liberty this year the tools the raw traits are there Uh, There's a lot of things that he can do kind of that, you know, work immediately, but I don't think he's someone that you're going to bring in and expect to contribute in year one. And I think like Malik Willis, it's the same thing with Shaden Sharp. Uh, I really wish we would have seen him play this year. I found it really interesting that he chose not to play like at all. Uh, So every game that I've watched or any tape that I've watched on YouTube is games of him in high school. And I thought (laughs) it's kind of tough to kind of evaluate. I can only imagine what a scout's thinking. Uh, But I think that's one guy I would, before I move on to the next one, I'd like to get your thoughts on him really quick because... I personally think he's an intriguing guy. I think I like if they pick at seven or eight, I think he'd be a pretty strong possibility there. But I would love to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I think you gotta go with it just based on like best player available. And when I say that, I kind of mean just like whoever has the most upside, because you're still looking for that like star player or second star next to DeJounte Murray. So like there are things that concern me. Like he was at Sunrise Christian Academy, pretty prestigious basketball school. You know, a lot of good players have come through there. Buddy Buddy Hilde has gone through there. Grady Dick, who seventh best prospect in the nation, committed to Kansas. Uh, Ku, go Jayhawks. Uh, <laughs> he's going to be going there. So like, they're they're kind of a pipeline for college basketball players. He was there as a sophomore. Didn't really, you know, he wasn't like the star of the show. I think it was about nine points per game. He he's uh, split a time between the starting lineup and the second unit. And he ended up transferring out because he wanted to have a bigger role. So he went to a school called Dream City Christian Academy, which is in Glendale, Arizona. And he grew two inches between then. He went from 6'4", 6'6". He went from unranked nationally, so like below three stars, to a five-star prospect, number one consensus prospect on 24-7 sports, ESPN, uh, rivals. So like it's just such a monumental jump, but even when you look at that like he didn't really have a lot of big time games against other really big time high school basketball programs, you know, 25.2 points per game, fantastic. You know, he was great in transition, he was really good as a cutter, he was really good as a driver, but his shooting numbers weren't great, his shot selection wasn't great. And when I say he's like top 5, top 4, top 3% athlete, like he is absolutely explosive, gets off the ground in a hurry whether it's 1 foot or 2 feet, uh, he can blow, blow blow by anybody, but man, the thing that concerns me is he didn't really get by guys that easily. Like, he just doesn't have a very good handle. He wasn't able to create a lot of separation. And so he does this thing that a lot of young prospects do is, okay, well, I'm, I'm faster, I'm stronger, you know, I'm shiftier than you. I may not be able to get by you with my handle, so I'm going to, you know, rely on a, a pull-up mid-range jump, jumper. Or I'm going to rely on this step back. Like, I'm going to rely on these tough shots because even though they're tough, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I'm faster. I can get him off over you, and I don't have to worry about you bothering my shot. And like the shooting percentages weren't great, and so he made some progress. I think that's the biggest thing is that he went from being being at Sunrise Christian Academy. He recognized his his flaws. He got a little bit bigger. Obviously, that's just through the grace of God that he got taller. But he worked on things that were weaknesses for him, turned them into strength. So like his developmental curve has been is promising. But going from a high school player who you know respectfully didn't initiate a lot of offense for his school to directly in the NBA, I think you're exactly right when you say don't expect him to come in and be this transformative player right away. You know, you're going to have to be patient with him. Like, to be honest, the Spurs have a lot of guards. They're going to have to move things around if they want him to play year one, or they can send him to the G League. And I kind of think, as much as fans don't like the G League, that would probably be the best for his development. So I would be fine with the pick. Got to go BPA. Got to go highest, uh, you know, upside. So that's, that's what I would do.
0: Yeah, I think the last one we'll touch on here is uh, another player from Duke, A.J. Griffin, who played last night. I think he's a really intriguing prospect as well, especially just off the bounce immediately. I think his game translates. I think there's some defensive upside there. I think the shooting's really, really solid as well. I mean, he's got 48.3% last or on, on, from deep on, it says, 123-pointers attempt. So, I mean, I said Jabari could shoot a little bit. I guess A.J. could shoot a little bit too. Uh, but just in, in reality, though, man, I think it, he's a really interesting prospect to watch because – I see the Jimmy Butler comp thrown out a lot uh, because, you know, from the lower half, he looks just like Jimmy Butler, right? He's built kind of very similarly. And, you know, even KLC has a three-point shooting Jimmy Butler shade, right? Uh, I think AJ would be an interesting guy, you know, to pick as well because he kind of provides that off-the-dribble scoring threat that the Spurs kind of need, right? I think as just a a pure shooter, as a pure scorer, he's there. Um, I think defensively, I think overall, defensively, just on both ends of the floor as well, he kind of fits what the Spurs could use right now, right? The only thing is, is it's kind of like you mentioned the spurs have a lot of they have they have a lot of guards but they kind of need guys like that are not just like 6-6 and below right like they need actual size or versatility at like the 3 the 4 and a lot of these prospects that we're talking about like, of course, they could grow, right? Like, even Primo's, you know, growing and stuff like that. But a lot of times, like, the Spurs need someone that's a little bit bigger. They actually need size and versatility at the four, and I don't think they have that right now, right, even with the, with guys like these. So I would like an A.J. Griffin pick. I think it would be a solid addition. I think at seven or eight, you can get someone that could probably play for you right away. I don't think he's someone that, you know, you could throw in the G-league. I think you could get away with playing him immediately. Uh, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, he's another one of those guys who his father also played in the NBA, So, like, I'm not really that worried about, does he understand what it takes to make it? You know, does he have the work ethic? Like, we've seen him, and honestly, like, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but he missed most of two years of his high school career with ankle and lower extremity injuries. Like, he just was injured a lot in high school. So, I'm not really worried about the injuries. I actually want to use it as, like, a positive thing to highlight how far along he is in his development despite missing so much time in high school. Because, as you know, like, you know, high school— Everybody wants to be popular in high school. Everybody wants to have fun in high school. But, like, those years are really important to, like, your development. Like, say you're playing any professional sport, right? That means at some point in high school, you were really good. And to get good in high school, you had to play. And, like, he wasn't able to play for basically two years, and he's still as good as he is. I think that only speaks volumes to you know, where he is in his development. He's a good standstill three-point shooter. I think he has a little bit of uh, utility in terms of versatility in terms of he may be able to shoot coming off screens. I think the one thing that really bothers people or worries people is his base. is really, really wide. Like, his feet are almost, like, further than his shoulders when he shoots. It's really weird looking. But, you know, that can be fixed. I'm not really that worried about other things in terms of defensively. He moves his feet well. He's a good athlete. He is on the smaller side for a forward, you know, six six. I think 220 or 225. So the Spurs don't necessarily need someone that, that you know, s- small since they're looking for a 4 or a 5, as you're mentioning. But again, it's all about who's available. Is he the best guy available? And if he is, you know, so be it. You go that route because you can't afford to pick for po- positional fit. You just can't afford to do that right now. You can't. And like the Spurs have shown that they're fine <laughs> yeah. to go away from positional fit. I mean, they yeah. took... Derek White and DeJounte Murray and Lonnie Walker and Keldon Johnson, uh, even Devin Vassell, Trey Jones, Kendari Weatherspoon, like really the only guys who they took with, I guess, positional fit in mind, if you will. Luka Shamanich didn't work out and Chemezi Metu. He's gone as well. So, like, I think the Spurs are fine just going. These are the best guys available. We'll figure it out later, which is a fine pro- you know approach when you're in their position.
0: Yeah, and I think that's enough for the draft stuff. I know me and Noah were talking, like, before the show, we were like, yeah, we'll touch on the draft, you know, not too nothing too crazy. It's <laughs> like taking off the bulk of the show. We could do this all day, and trust me, we're going to be hitting it hard this offseason. So I guess we'll move on to the state of the Spurs that's currently constructed. Uh, I think there hasn't been a player that's, you know, more impressive since his arrival than, you know, Josh Richardson. You know, the Oklahoma native is shooting, you know, better than 41% from deep since coming to San Antonio. I think there's some real two-way ability there that, you know, potentially leaves a guy like Lonnie Walker and maybe some others expendable heading into next season. So Noah, what are your thoughts on Josh Richardson? Because I remember when we first recorded, you weren't too you know overcome with joy. You weren't too thrilled to you know have Josh Richardson on the team. Not to say that you were upset, but you were you weren't really interested in seeing how he fit within this team. You were you know, kind of looking towards other guys to kind of you know carve out roles for themselves. But how are you feeling about Jay Rich? Wink, wink, coming to the two one zero. How are you feeling about it?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's been good since he's been here. I think in March, uh, 11.9 points per game, 3.3 rebounds per game, 2.2 assists per game. I even wrote an article about him and and how his fit has been you know, seamless with the San Antonio Spurs and why that gives the Spurs options, as you mentioned. So, like, can he stick around? Sure. I mean, like, he signed to a one-year $12.2 million extension with Boston last year, so you're going to have to pay him regardless unless you want to trade him. But that's the beauty of it. Like, if you decide... Hey, you know, Lonnie Walker's asking for this amount. We don't feel comfortable extending him for that many years, that much money. You know, we got to let him walk. Well, great. You have Josh Richardson. Like, he can fill in off the bench. Now, would I want the Spurs to potentially look and go, Hey, you know, this guy's on the trading block. Let's see what people are interested in. Sure. I mean, like, 3 and D wings in the NBA, they're invaluable. Every contender wants one. Every team wants one. So if you want to put him on the trading block, I think similar to a guy like Thaddeus Young, you're probably going to end up getting you know maybe a first rounder an expiring or or like a young prospect who hasn't really worked out with their team and that's fine as well i just think having a lot of different options is really nice now as far as like his game I have been impressed with what I've seen from him, but it's not really anything I didn't expect. He's always been known as like a three and guy, uh, you know, as the second best defensive field goal percentage on this roster since the trade deadline. You know, he held his his opponents to forty four point four percent shooting on ninety attempts. He's shooting forty three point six percent from three on catch and shoot opportunities since he came to, to San Antonio. So it's not like anything that we didn't expect, but I think in combination with Lonnie Walker breaking out again, it just has really made the Spurs have a very favorable setup this offseason where they have options. Because you don't want to be someone who doesn't have options. And the Spurs, they're going to have decisions to make, but that's better than saying, hey, you know, Lonnie Walker, he's not that dude, and man, Josh has not been good. we got to get rid of him. They've both been good. So, you know, good for the Spurs. I think that's a really nice asset to have in both of those guys.
0: Yeah, and especially, like you mentioned, his defensive numbers. He's in the 93rd percentile as a spot-up defender in San Antonio. I believe the frequency is at, like, a 20% rate. So I think overall, he's— kind of been what we've expected uh on the season like you mentioned he's shooting you know 46% on catch and shoot here in San Antonio on the year he's you know close to 41% so it's kind of what we already knew right we're not learning anything different but I think one thing that's interesting is that he could potentially be a guy that makes a Lonnie Walker expendable he can play in that Lonnie role next year um I, I just think just in general man he's someone that really fits with what you need going forward so I've been impressed with him I don't really have too much more to add on Josh Richardson personally other than other than like Hey, I'm glad he's playing well for San Antonio, right? I mean, it beats, like you said, the other part where we'd say, man, Josh Richardson doesn't look too good. No, he actually looks well, so good for him.
1: Definitely. And there's another youngster by the same first name. We all know and love him. 19-year-old <laughs> shocked the Alamo City when he went 12th overall to the San Antonio Spurs in the 2021 NBA draft. And that would be none other than Josh Primo. And and Dame, you know, the Rook has been all over the place since cracking the rotation in January. There's been virtually no consistency from night to night from him, but just give me some of your thoughts on the first year combo guard. You know, is there anything that worries you about his game and maybe what's the best approach for the Spurs to take with Josh for the rest of the season and how should Spurs fans, so fans in particular, feel about him right now?
0: Yeah, I think right now Josh Primo looks all of being the youngest player in the draft right now <laughs> um there's some things that i like like so one thing i found interesting was that he's averaging close to five boards a game in his playing time this year playing 25 minutes a game i looked at the uh contested rebound percentage it's around 30 percent, so he kind of rounded out a little bit close to like a third of his boards are coming you know contested so i think right now no where i where i stand on him is just he just looks like a young player that's not very experienced that is in playing in, in some cases a, a new role in some cases kind of something similar. I think honestly he just looks like he needs more time. Like he whenever we were mentioning earlier about uh tanking organically or whatever He's a guy that just looks like he needs those on-ball reps. Like he needs it on both on both ends of the floor. Like as a defender, I know against Portland, he had a co- I believe against Portland, he had a couple of pretty bad fouls. You know, even now, man, I I just think he just he's someone that's really really raw, and that's just what I what I take from him every time I watch him play is I don't have expectations, so I don't get upset when I see a young player look like a young player, right? And I think that's where the fans and just everyone that watched him, he just kind of come into this knowing like, hey, he's he was never picked to have a year one impact. Similarly to a guy that I covered in Washington, like Jamin Davis, he wasn't picked to have a year one impact and beat, you know, the sun, the moon, and the stars for you, right? So with that in mind, keep an open mind and just take every game, you know, game by game, day by day, like you do with life. And I think over time we're going to see this improvement from him. And it's coming, right? There are some areas where he looks better, some areas where he looks worse. But overall, man, I think he's a young player. He looks like that. So just embrace that. Take that in.
1: Yeah, and and I understand people—I think fans have higher expectations than most people do. You know, they saw him in the the Summer League, and, man, I think most fans must not— and, like, again, like, fans don't need to be super into every number and every game that happens, but I think they get so caught up in the highlights that get put on Spurs' social media platforms that they go, you know, this guy's Kobe. Like, uh, I saw somebody on social media on Twitter this week say, you know, man, I just feel bad now because, like, everybody was calling him Kobe, but he doesn't look anything like him, and I was just like— Man, that just doesn't even make sense. Why you you can't you can't be putting that high of expectations on the youngest player in the NBA draft who went a lot earlier than most people thought. Like the Spurs took a chance on him and the way they explained it is, you know, basically we want our guy in this draft in our system a year early. Now, he could have gone back to college. You know, he could have become a lottery pick next year, but we think we want to take him earlier than expected. We want him in the system so we can control his development. That way we don't have to worry about getting him in the lottery next year. We already got him. So if that's their mindset and they're going to be patient, I think Spurs fans have to be patient. I get it. 6.3 points per game, 3.1 rebounds per game, 1.6 assists per game on 37, 29, 73 shooting splits. That's not pretty. You know, 22 minutes per game, that's not pretty. But you know what? At the end of the day, he's shown some nice flashes here and there in – probably every game that leaves you really intrigued about his potential. And Dame, one of the, the plays that really stood out to me was the one that he made against the Blazers. I know they're really bad. We can talk about that in a minute. But he had this play where he was running in transition. DeJounte's taking the ball down the court. He calls for the ball because he sees Devin Vassell's open in the corner. He drives hard to the rim, blows past his first man, draws the help defender and CJ Ellaby. And he uses, by the way, fifth biggest hands in the combine, not among guards, Among every player in the combine, huge mitts, uses those huge mitts to wrap a pass around CJ Ellaby's back, pinpoint right into Devin Vassell's shooting pocket in the corner. And those are the sort of plays that you go, yeah, this kid is getting it like he may not get it on a consistent basis. The game may still be kind of sped up for him, but he's learning game by game. And those flashes are what makes me feel confident that he's going to figure it out. Not that he's going to be, you know, an all-star or, or your starting, you know, shooting guard or point guard of the future. But, like, he's learning game by game. And so, just I think, again, just be patient because I think he's going to be a good player.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's baby steps, man. Like, that's really what it is. Like, he's one of the young – he was the youngest player in the draft that's coming out. Like, that's what you're going to expect. Like, I'm sorry that he didn't come in. Like, like you mentioned playing like Kobe, like – no, he's not gonna be Kobe. If he was Kobe Bean Bryant, like he would have been, like he told me the other day, he would have been number one overall if he was Kobe Bean Bryant. Like, <laughs> like I don't, maybe Kobe Steakhouse, but definitely not Kobe Bryant. Like, <laughs> no, like let, let's just you know, Spurs fans and those who watch, like, let's keep it cool. You know, it's it's a it's a game by game, day by day basis. Just like you take life the same way you got to take you know development of these young players. So, I hear you, man. I'm I'm with you 100. And I'm I'm good. I'm good on Josh Primo too, man. I think that right now where this team is headed i'm excited to watch you know some of these guys get some more reps as we kind of close out the year i'm hoping that i can see some more josh primo i know in the month of march he's playing like 25 minutes a night so hopefully we see more of it and this is not it's not a night night thing where we're not where we're seeing inconsistent minutes i think it's gonna be pretty consistent where he's gonna be having you know he's gonna have opportunity i just hope to see that we kind of see even more growth from him so i loved your point by the way on that that specific play in, against portland because those are some things that some people can kind of look back on and kind of watch in the game and see hey it's actually kind of important. So, big ups to you on that. That was a fantastic point.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate you. And, and again, like I, I don't want I don't want people to get carried away because one, G, Primo led the G League in turnovers per game. Yes, his decision making can be suspect, and I'm not even completely sold that he's going to become this primary initiator or anything like that. But as you mentioned, youngest player in the league, I think the best course of action is just to let things play out. Like you said, take it day by day. Just be patient let him develop at his own pace. And our guy Trevor Zikraff, he mentioned Devin Booker and Bradley Beal as like the archetype for him to strive for. And that wasn't him saying, oh, he's going to be those players. But I think what he meant is the kind of guy who can initiate offense on the side, right? He's not your primary ball handler, but he can can take over that in spurts. But he's really dangerous off-ball, you know, makes good cuts, relocates around the perimeter, motion shooter, coming off screens, you know, spotting up, like can do it all like that. If he can become a player like that, and I think maybe a more realistic comparison would be like a guy like Jordan Clarkson in Utah. Like if you can become that kind of player, that's super valuable. I know some people like to clown on, you know, the the Jazz and Jordan Jordan Clarkson. But I mean, respectfully, the guy won a sixth man of the year award. If that's the kind of player, if he comes close to that, that's really valuable with the 12th pick. So I'm happy with Josh. I don't care if he doesn't become a superstar. I don't know if he would have been my pick even looking back on it. But you know what? He's here. And we got to be patient with him. We got to give him a chance. You know, let, let's, let's be patient with him. So Dame, you've been amazing today. I appreciate you taking an hour out of your day. Most of it was draft <laughs> stuff. I know we said we wouldn't get carried away with it. We kind of did, but that's okay. I really appreciate you for coming on here you know, spending all this time with me, but that about does it for today, man. So thank you so much for hopping on the pod with me. And why don't you go ahead and plug anything you want. Let Spurs fans know where they can follow you on social media and where they can find your basketball content, your football content, any of the content that you want to plug. The floor is yours. Yeah. uh, Before,
0: before I get into that, a shout out to Michael DeLeon, RIP. uh, I speak for me and Noah on this one. This, This, we dedicate this episode to him. Uh, one of you know the Godfathers of this you know Spurs journalism stuff. Just overall, just a great man, great human being. Did a lot for me and Noah. So please, you know, if y'all can, just donate to his family, the GoFundMe, all that stuff is going to be on social media. And uh, yeah, RIP my brother. Thank you for all that you did for me. I know you did a lot for Noah as well, which I'm sure he'll get into as well. And uh, yeah, RIP to to a real one. If y'all want to follow my stuff and look at anything I got, just follow me on Twitter at da bartonic. And uh, more importantly, show uh, Mike's family some love if you can. And uh, you know. That's, that's what I, that's what we care about most right now. So, uh, thanks for having me. know. it was dope. And, uh, shout out to Mike, man, RIP.
1: Absolutely. And, and for those of you who are on Spurs social media or, or you read anything from Project Spurs, that's that guy. He's the founder of Project Spurs. He was one of the pioneers in blogging, basketball blogging. He, he gave me, and Dame knows too, Dame already said it, but he gave me one of my first opportunities to write about the Spurs in any capacity And he also gave me my first paid opportunity where I was actually getting, even though it wasn't a ton of money, it meant something to me. It meant so much seeing, you know, $20, $30 come in the bank account because somebody thought, hey, you can do this. And Mike was the first person to take a bet on me and say, you know what, you're good enough that I can give you a little bit of money for writing about the Spurs. And as somebody who grew up in San Antonio, a Spurs fan, that meant so much to me. And he did that for a lot of people, for me, for Dame, for a guy like Mac Pena, for a guy like Josh Perez, for a guy like Benjamin uh, Bornstein, he's done it for so many people. So again, like Dame said, if you want to do something good with your time today, go ahead and check out his, his GoFundMe for the funeral expenses, for the legacy scholarship that they want to put in his name, because he's done a lot for us. And the least that we can do for a guy who did so much for the Spurs community is give back to him and his family a little bit. So I don't have anything to plug today. You know where you can find me on social media. I say it every week. And, uh, man, again, Dame, I appreciate you. And I'm really glad that you uh, took the time out there to dedicate this episode to Mike DeLeon because, man, he was really important. But that does it for today. Thank you for joining us and to everybody who listened to this edition of Alamo City Limits. Make sure that you leave us a five-star review. Go check our stuff out on Pounding the Rock. And until next time, Spurs fans, take care.